Hi everybody, I'm Bob Waller and this is episode 7 of Audio Scrambler, a podcast about music. Episode 6 was a memorial for the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, which went out of business last month. It was all about circus music, from traditional circus tunes to today's circus punk and circus metal. This episode is a follow-up to that one, and it focuses specifically on the intersection between clowns and song. It's an intersection that's evolved over the years to reflect our changing attitudes toward clowns. From the innocent acceptance of clowns as whimsical performers who bring joy to the hearts of children, to the subverted images of morally degenerate and even murderous clowns found in more contemporary pop culture. The history of this intersection between clowns and songs is really rich, and the best organizational schema I can think of to help us make sense of it is the plot of this story. This is Luciano Pavarotti singing Vesti la Giuba from Ruggero Leoncavolo's 1892 opera Pagliacci, which means clowns. Pagliacci's main character is a clown named Cagno, who performs in a traveling comedy troupe along with his wife, Netta, who, he discovers, is having an affair. This news fills Cagno with heartache and rage, but the show must go on, so he takes to the stage because that's his job. But as fate would have it, his job that night is to portray a clown whose wife is cheating on him. And to make matters worse, this fictional cheating wife is portrayed by none other than his real-life cheating wife, Netta. These parallels between reality and fiction are more than Kanyo can stand, and he ends up murdering both Netta and her lover right there on stage in front of a horrified audience. I bring up Paiachi for two reasons. One, you can't do a history of clowns and songs without covering Paiachi, that would be sacrilege. And two, Paiachi presents a complex image of a clown that unfolds in a sequence that would soon be repeated in the ways subsequent musicians would depict clowns in their songs. In the first half of the 20th century, pop songs usually depicted clowns the way they were traditionally depicted, as wacky benevolent funsters. With the rise of rock and roll, however, pop songs referred to clowning more and more as a facade for romantic failures who use humor to hide their pain. And by the 1980s, the traditional conception of a clown had been subverted, and we were hearing and seeing more and more depictions of clowns as moral degenerates, misanthropes, and even bloodthirsty murderers. Note how that history corresponds pretty nicely to the plot of Paiachi, whose main character, Kanyo, was first a comic buffoon, then a jilted lover, and finally a vengeful murderer. So let's go ahead and take a look at that history, beginning with the first stage in the Paiachi cycle, the clown as benevolent funster. Kelly and Judy Garland singing Be a Clown in the 1948 musical film The Pirate. 
In this scene, the stars are dressed in full clown regalia. Judy in black and white checkered pants, Jean in a bright orange wig, both in absurdly baggy suits with huge lapels and big floppy shoes. They do prat falls and dance wildly, encouraging the audience to become clowns because everybody loves clowns. And why wouldn't they? According to the song, clowns enjoy life to the fullest and get everyone around them to enjoy life too. Another song that expresses this innocent acceptance of clowns as benevolent funsters is this one. I'm such a funny clown, I like to travel around and round the circus is my home. I always see the road. This is the theme song for the Boston area's 1966 version of Bozo's Circus. In this particular clip, Bozo the Clown sings his theme song as he drives a miniature surrey called the Bozo Mobile into a studio full of cheering children, all decked out in their finest Sunday go-to-church clothes. It's really adorable. He's wearing his signature flaming red skirted eggshell wig and sky blue jumpsuit with absurdly big cuffs and collar. Seated in the back seat, he pushes the Bozo Mobile by foot, a la Fred Flintstone, while two little girls wearing Bozo hats and sweatshirts ride in the front seat. He tells them they look nice in their Bozo merchandise and asks them to take a seat in the audience so he can announce the lineup for today's show, which includes visits from his friends Professor Tweety Foofer and Clank the Tin Can Man. The Bozo TV franchise started in the very early days of commercial television, in 1949, the year after Be a Clown. And testament to the staying power of the Clown as Benevolent Funster idea, it ran all the way to 2001. Naturally, it lost steam in an age when more cynical conceptions of clowns prevailed, but at its peak in the 1950s and 1960s, Bozo was an entertainment empire with local Bozos in most major American cities and a full line of Bozo toys and clothing. By the looks of things, Gene Kelly and Judy Garland were right. All the world really does love a clown. And then came rock and roll. This is Goodbye Cruel World, which was a hit for James Darren in 1961. In it, Darren declares that he is going to join the circus and become a clown so that he can evade the cruelty of ordinary life, particularly the cruelty of a lover who jilted him. It exemplifies early rock's primary way of talking about clowning, namely as a facade perpetuated by the lovelorn to hide their pain. Notice that this corresponds to stage two of the Paiachi cycle, when Kanyo learns his wife is cheating on him, and the wacky funster becomes the romantic failure. And why did early rock and roll embrace this particular conception of the clown? Probably because it came directly from the blues, an art form that championed the lyrical theme of the failed lover more than any other art form before it. So, it only makes sense that if early rock and rollers were going to sing about clowns, they'd depict themselves as romantic failures who clown around to hide their pain. It's an idea that would be expressed over and over again in the mid to late 20th century, not only by decidedly rock and roll oriented artists like James Darren, but by artists in many other genres as well. We hear it expressly in the Everly Brothers 1957 hit, Kathy's Clown. Here he comes. In 1961's A Little Bitty Tear by Burl Ives. 
But a little bit of tear let me down Spoiled my act as a clown in 1965's Everybody Loves a Clown by Gary Lewis and the Playboys. Everybody loves a clown, so why don't you? In Tears of a Clown, which Smokey Robinson and the Miracles released in 1967. The tears of a clown, when there's no one. And in many, many more songs, including probably the best known song of this type, Judy Collins' 1975 hit, Send in the Clowns. But where are the clowns? There ought to be clowns. Well, maybe next By the way, I would totally buy the argument that this shift to depicting clowns as romantic losers was not so much a new conception of clowns as it was a different way of talking about the old conception of clowns. When we listen to Kathy's Clown and Goodbye Cruel World and Send in the Clowns and all those songs, the underlying idea we hear expressed about what clowns are is essentially pretty positive. I may be broken-hearted, but I want to be a clown because clowns make people laugh, and that's a good thing. After all, musicians of the early rock era had grown up with mostly good feelings about clowns. Musicians of subsequent eras, however, would come to see clowns differently. Just three years after Send In The Clowns, the world would be cast headlong into the final stage of the Paiachi cycle, when the clown becomes a murderer. And the catalyst for that shift seems to be the event that this song is about. His father was a drinker, and his mother cried in bed. This is Sufjan Stevens' haunting 2005 song, John Wayne Gacy Jr. It's about events the world became aware of in the final days of 1978 when Cook County, Illinois police officials discovered the remains of 26 young men and teenage boys who'd been raped and murdered by now infamous serial killer John Wayne Gacy Jr. The news was shocking to say the least, but made even more shocking when photos appeared in the media showing Gacy dressed up as Pogo the Clown, a persona he had created to entertain at parades and other civic events. The idea that an entertainer of children could also be a psychopathic murderer of children seems to have left an indelible scar on the American psyche because not long thereafter, depictions of clowns changed dramatically from mostly positive depictions of benevolent funsters to mostly negative depictions of malevolent misanthropes and murderers. Such depictions were proliferate in the 1980s. We can see them in director Tim Burton's first big theatrical release, 1985's Pee-wee's Big Adventure, where the title character, Pee-wee Herman, who has long been searching for his beloved stolen bicycle, has a nightmare that it's being brutally disassembled by evil clowns. And in Pennywise the Clown from Stephen King's 1986 novel, It, later depicted on screen by Tim Curry of Rocky Horror Picture Show fame. I'll kill you all! <laughs> I'll drive you crazy and I'll kill you all! I'm every nightmare you ever had! 
I am your worst dream come true. I'm everything you ever were afraid of. In the ultra campy 1988 horror film Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Popcorn, why? Popcorn! Because the clowns, that's why. As well as Jack Nicholson's iconic performance as the Joker in Tim Burton's 1989 film adaptation of Batman. I'm only laughing on the outside. My smile is just skin deep. If you could see inside, I'm really crying. You might join me for a week. <laughs> 1989 was also the year that these rappers first recorded together. This is Joseph Bruce and Joseph Utzler, who in 1989 were calling themselves the JJ Boys and were not yet part of clown history. But by the time they released this song, Carnival of Carnage, from their 1992 album of the same name, they were performing in clown makeup and were known as the Insane Clown Posse. Their music exemplified the emerging subgenre of hip-hop known as horrorcore, whose artists embraced the aesthetic of slasher films with their unabashed indulgence in grotesquely violent lyrics. The combination of extreme violence and clown imagery caught on, and the insane clown posse soon amassed a huge following of infamously devoted fans known as Juggalos, who themselves often attend posse events in clown makeup. Another musician worth mentioning in conjunction with evil clown imagery is Sean Cran, who's a percussionist for this band. This is Slipknot performing their biggest hit, 2014's The Devil and I. Cran, whose stage name is Clown because he performs in an evil clown mask, co-founded Slipknot in 1995, just a few years after the insane clown posse got their start. Famous for their macabre, nightmarish imagery, Slipknot, through most of its career, has been exceptionally large for a heavy metal band, typically sporting nine members. As testament to the durability of the evil clown archetype, Cran is the only founding member of the band who remains in it after nearly 22 years. Throughout this episode, I've been relating the history of clowns in 20th and 21st century music to the plot of Ruggiero Leoncavallo's 19th century opera, Paiachi. Because just as Paiachi's main character, a clown named Kanyo, went from benevolent funster to romantic failure to murderer, the dominant conception of clowns in popular song went from benevolent funster in the mid-20th century to romantic failure in the early decades of rock and roll, and finally to psychotic murderer from the 1980s onward. But there is one other pretty prominent conception of clowns that doesn't quite fit into the Paiachi cycle. More or less concurrent with the rise of evil clowns was the rise of clowns that weren't evil but were bad, both in the sense that they were bad at being traditional clowns and also in the sense that they were morally bad in some way. Like evil clowns, these just plain bad clowns subvert the traditional conception of a clown because they're morally degenerate. But unlike evil clowns, they're more laughable than frightening. And here is probably the best known example of this kind of clown. Hey kids, who do you love? Happy! How much do you love me? With all our hearts! What would you do if I went off the air? We'd kill ourselves! 
What we're hearing is the first appearance of the character Krusty the Clown on Fox's not-quite-for-kids animated TV show, The Simpsons. Krusty first appeared on The Simpsons on April 29, 1990, after the release of Killer Clowns from Outer Space, but before the insane clown posse in Slipknot. Like those evil clowns, Krusty is a subversion of the traditional clown, more degenerate than benevolent, but like traditional clowns, Krusty is laughable. The twist, though, is that he's not laughable in the way that clowns have traditionally been laughable. He's ironically funny. He makes his living as an entertainer of children, but he's foul-mouthed and short-tempered with unquenchable penchants for cigarettes, booze, gambling, and prostitutes. Comedy, my name is Krusty. Another example of an ironically funny and morally degenerate but not murderous clown is Shakes from Bobcat Goldthwait's 1991 movie, Shakes the Clown. I don't have a problem with my alcohol. I can stop anytime I want to. I just don't because I'm having a lot of fun with my drinking. If evil clowns are a sort of backlash against the naive idea that clowns are all benevolent funsters, bad clowns like Krusty and Shakes represent a post-backlash conception of clowns. Their creators are saying, in effect, yeah, we know there have been evil clowns, and we know we can never go back to the innocent days when all clowns were benevolent, but do we always have to be afraid of clowns? Can't we still have some fun with them? In the world of music, we find such post-backlash clowns in the recent rise of ironically funny clown-centered acts such as Clownvis Presley, who, as his name suggests, is both a clown and an Elvis impersonator. Puddle's Pity Party, a six-foot-eight sad clown who doesn't speak but performs wistful covers of popular songs. I will never be royals. Royals. It don't run and I won't blind. The kind of luck's just ain't for us. We crave a different kind of buzz. And Max Sabbath a McDonald's-themed Black Sabbath parody band whose members dress up as outlandishly evil McDonaldland characters, fronted by a hybrid of Ronald McDonald and Ozzy Osbourne, and sing Black Sabbath songs rewritten with fast-food-themed lyrics. Here's their song, Frying Pan, set to the tune of Black Sabbath's Iron Man. Cows were to grind Hope your stomach is And that, my friends, brings us to where we are today. As strange as it may seem to say, clowns are a pretty complex phenomenon. They're happy, they're sad, they make us squeal in delight and gasp in horror. At certain times, one idea of what clowns are may have prevailed over others, but at least since the time of Paiachi, we've always had multiple conceptions of clowns. <laughs> I'm reminded of a classic circus shtick where a tiny car pulls out into the center ring, the driver's side door opens, and a seemingly endless stream of clowns pours out. Some of them are tiny, some gigantic, some leap out with manic gusto, and others seem to ooze out with comic melancholy. And just when you think there could not possibly be one more clown in that car, boom, out pops another. And so it is with clowns in popular culture. There's no use bemoaning their impending extinction because they just keep coming. You can love them or you can hate them, but they appear to be here for the long haul. 
They're the entertainers at our parades and carnivals, but they're also the entertainers at our rap and heavy metal shows. We can find them funny or we can find them frightening, but either way, it's not hard to find them. Because just when you think there could not possibly be one more clown in that car we call popular culture, boom, out pops another. Thanks for listening to episode 7 of Audio Scrambler. If you're so inclined and you have a spare moment, like Audio Scrambler on Facebook and or subscribe through iTunes. And as always, let me know if you have any great ideas for upcoming episodes. Audio Scrambler is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can contact me at audioscramblerpodcast at gmail.com. Summer officially starts this month, which means this is the 50-year anniversary of the Summer of Love. So be listening for a short series on the incredibly influential music of that time. Until then, this is Bob Waller reminding you to keep your ears open, because the more you listen, the more you love. Bob, 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 Bob.